Hi, I'm Kaylin Kaju, an animator and illustrator. And I'm Ira Marks. I write and draw comics. And this is a podcast about the mysterious and magical process of bringing cartoon stories to life. In today's episode, not only are we blasting off to another planet, it's a planet, a different plane entirely, I gather. I'm not 100% sure if that's true. Uh, we're going to Eternia. We're talking about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Original flavor. 80s classic. Welcome to Cartoon Feelings! <laughs> All right, Kaylin, uh, rolling up to, I think the address was 101 Eternia Drive. That looks like the house. It's it's a giant skull building. No, it's not this one. Keep going. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's come around the block. Nope, there's an, it's that house for it's sure. It's the only house, I think. Yeah. Okay, we can try this one. Okay, grab the, uh, grab the bottle of wine. It's going to be an interesting night, I think. Wine sound, wine sound. Here we go up to the <laughs> gate, and I suppose we'll just sort of like rap gently on this giant drawbridge hello hello anybody home i think a man lives here (laughs) hopefully he comes to the door what's all this racket out here (laughs) oh it's jay allen oh you know what time it is (laughs) uh yes it's 8 p.m eastern time (laughs) well in neighborhood (laughs) we don't come a knocking on uh the castle grayskull drawbridge on Wednesdays at 8 p.m.? I feel like we had this scheduled beforehand, so we're kind of, uh, we're on the right side. Yeah, didn't we call ahead? Here. <laughs> Checks out. Oh, gosh. I am so sorry. You're, yeah, you're no, actually fine, right on time. <laughs> oh, I'm boy. so sorry. It's important yeah. to be disgruntled just I, as a first stage of defense. Yeah, we get a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, solicitors at Castle mm. Grayskull, so I just you oh, know, kind of have this think... wall up uh, at first, so I do apologize. Yeah. I think we're technically solicitors. Yeah, but we're we're on the friendlier <laughs> side of it. Yeah, we just solicitors won't. that I know and trust. Oh, you solicited us. I mean, well, it was like kind of a a two way street. If I'm mutual honest, mutual yeah. solicitation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Jay Allen here to talk to us today about the original run of Masters of the Universe, and now for we we have to put this up front because people either know or they don't know or they need to know now cuz they're going to find out later. A lot of options. Jay Allen aka Slack Circus. True? True. So far true. Okay. Now you you've got a little bit in it's just like a little taste of your history with this franchise. I don't know if you you want to sing a song or like oh, if you have gosh. a bit or anything Did, are, that you do. Are you moved by the spirit to sing uh, a song? Drop, right should we now? just drop it right in here? Like we'll drop a little audio clip you people will drop the audio permission? clip in there. Um, I am not confident that I can do falsetto right now. Um, okay, we'll I just listen try. to it. Yeah. I'm confident. You want to try it? I'm I'm going to try it, and we'll see how it goes, and we can just put it over, like, the instrumental track or something if it sucks. Okay. But, oh, my God. Yeah. We're going to have a beautiful – what's that tiny desk? Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's tiny acoustic. Tiny desk. Con- <laughs> let, let me get my harmonium out. I'll be right back. <laughs> He's actually doing it. All right, I'm going to try <laughs> Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. 
I kind of did it. That sounds that was really great. good. Yeah. You even did the head tilt. I mean, it's the only way Wait. that I can get to that range. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, that's 100% just a mechanical motion. It's yeah. not, yeah. <laughs> there's no that, other that's reason why, to do that's it. That's why Prince Adam does it. So, uh, you know, you either get it or you don't. We'll come back around to, you know, what that all means later in the show. But I, I think we got to start where all things start with the beginning stuff like this 80s cartoons. Mm-hmm. Where were you? <laughs> where were you when you first saw Masters of the Universe? Well, I would have been in second grade in Arlington, Texas. And I would have been uh, sort of. Uh, ping-ponging back and forth between G.I. Joe and He-Man. Um, those were at least the most popular shows of the day, as, as I recall it. So um, that's the picture that I still have. And I remember uh, very much playing with the action figures. Uh, my friend Chris down the street had the uh, Castle Skull and the whole nine yards. Um, so Masters of the Universe was a big player in my childhood yeah that makes that makes sense uh should we go chronologically should i go next yeah where were you ira (laughs) okay um well i'm slightly younger i think yeah i'm I'm 40 i'm I'm 41 okay i'm 47 so oh yeah so 82 83 i was i was like that was second third grade years so my mom loves to say that um I was kind of like born in the movie theater watching Empire Strikes Back. She's like, literally, that born, is what happened. You were watching that movie. <laughs> That's what I was doing in in 1981, apparently. But you know, a, a year or two later, He Man came along, and it was a real. Uh, looking back now, there there's like the side of me that is Empire Strikes Back, and that's the side I want to be like known and present. Because that's the fantasy with the story that came first. But He-Man, I do have to admit, it is extremely important to my childhood. A lot of that art just like still resonates with me to this day. But, and we'll get into this a little more, I always struggle with saying He-Man is part of my identity because it was so much of a kind of art and like product first and story second. And this will be like part of our conversation for tonight. So that, that's where it sits in, in my life. A little yin-yang of uh Well, it, for me, it all began when I saw Jay's video. <laughs> 2005. And this is literally true, because I wasn't born yet in the 80s. I came about in the late 1990. So I um, didn't have access to this, uh, as far as I'm aware. I, I knew about it. I had awareness of this. And I was telling Ira before we got on that... Like Thundercats was a show I was really into oh, as yeah. a kid. And like, it's yeah. so obvious that the parallels, honestly, <laughs> like shockingly so. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. it's like, no I can't believe I ideas. didn't. There were no new ideas. <laughs> it was like, literally, there's like a mummy bad guy with a mummy face and his name is Mumra. Like, wow, that must be completely original. TM, do not steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like spiritually I was on the right track, but just that was what was airing at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so you're, you're probably talking about Fabulous Secret Powers, um, which my friend Ryan and I made in 2005 and um, put it up on YouTube. It was, this was kind of uh, pre-YouTube. So 2005, YouTube was just kind of getting off the ground. And uh, 
we had been, I guess it was the early days of, of sharing. Um, when I, I, somebody asked me the other day, what's your earliest memory of internet humor or seeing a meme or something like that. And one of the first was, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone's early, like very, very, very first, uh, South Park short, um, that was just, it was supposed to be a Christmas card or something for their friends. And they just made it just kind of on a lark. And, uh, people started emailing it around. Like it was South park dot AVI or something. I don't even think it was called South park then. And, um, and so we started forwarding that around. And then of course, you know, when I was in, in college, that was the days of, um, space Ghost coast to coast and C lab 2021. And those kinds of shows where they did remixed, Hanna-Barbera animation, enter the internet and all of these videos being shared in various ways. And we found this, uh, well, we didn't find it. Everybody was exposed to the, uh, the, the GI Joe PSA, uh, videos. This would have been Eric Fensler's. Do you know, do you remember when that was? Do you remember those Ira? I remember those. I I probably saw them in syndication. That's the thing. A lot of the stuff, it was, could have been like eight years later. I was watching it from original broadcast. So like the GI Joe episodes that were, that were on TV. And then years later, there was a series of videos that this guy, Eric Fensler made where he remixed old GI Joe. And Oh, the remix. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, I remember that. Those were like, I, that rocked my world. I had never seen anything (laughs) that funny in my life. You know, it's true. It was another type of humor. I agree. I, I didn't laugh like that before that stuff existed. That's exactly. It's just like, because it's not (laughs) possible, you know, when you have a writer's room and all these people like agreeing on a story, like you don't get weird things like that. Um, right, right. Just the right amount of weird and funny. And uh, anyway, so that was like uh, Eric Fensler really was the genesis of all of the fabulous secret powers uh, story. Yeah, that makes sense. And I didn't even realize it was 2005, but I feel like that was my like I'm still in that that period where if you don't know what that is and you haven't seen it, I'm like, who are you? Like what? Mm-hmm. Like it's just so every now and then I'll meet a stray person who I guess just wasn't on the internet until very recently and like hasn't encountered this film. Mm-hmm. And um it's very confusing to me. So I think that was probably my biggest actual exposure to He Man culture, as I will call it for the rest of the episode. Right. Yeah. yeah. The internet just sort of flattens the timeline with so much of this stuff. Cause I, I've talked to, to teens that are like, yeah, Gumby, that's from the eighties also. Uh, like uh-huh. in like the popular culture, the eighties is just where everything from the past sits and waits yes. to yep. be like remixed. Yep. That's, ex- that is very accurate. I was having that conversation yesterday with my, my, I don't remember what it was. My daughter was pointing out some piece of animation somewhere that we were looking at. It's like, Oh yeah, that's from the eighties. Right. I'm like, that was in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Whatever. It is. Yeah. It's the timeline is collapsing. So I, we do have to flash back a little bit yeah. because, the, um, you know, the, it'll be one thing to kind of talk about the characters and the show and the aesthetic and, you know, what we like and what we don't like. But the framing of what Masters of the Universe is and where it comes from, I think is like really interesting. And this isn't something we've really had to talk about on the show yet. So, um, okay. The reason I wanted to bring up Star Wars right off the bat, because Uh clearly Masters of the Universe, a a product by Mattel, a toy company, Mm -hmm. they, they wanted Star Wars so bad. 
And like who didn't because yes. they were selling a million toys. But the thing with Star Wars is that it is rooted in like a, a, a creative space with like a guy named George Lucas. It's kind of seeded from somewhere. But Masters of the Universe is not at all, right? It's kind of a, a group of people. Uh, and, you know, we've got a bunch of their names down here. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say they're not creative. But it's it doesn't spring from the imagination in the way um, a lot of the things that culturally resonate and, you know, the narrative arts. Masters yeah. of the Universe is something that's so primed to be remixed right off the bat because mm-hmm. that's all it ever was. It was like shuffling around of fantasy aesthetic right from the get-go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was just yeah. it was kind of a grab bag of a bunch of popular things. It was sort of, you know, marketing folks crunching the numbers and looking at demographic data and, and Venn diagrams and stuff. And it was like, all right, so this like barbarian aesthetic plus um, sci fi plus this other thing that boys love um, is is going to kill. So that's the starting point. Now let's make a bunch of characters around that. No story connecting them. Nothing. Just like what do they sound like? What do they like? What do they do? Um, yeah, it's, it's very, the brain science behind all of that's really, really interesting to me. Right. We've got, and you know, we got a couple of the names here. So we've got like Mark Ellis, who's the Mattel marketing dude at this time. And, uh, I guess just if you're a dude in the late seventies, you're into, uh, Franz Frazetta. Do you know who that is? He's like the Conan yes. barbarian artist. You've definitely seen yeah. his like, purple I, sky. More green, like a Xena household for me, yeah. you know, but I was always like adjacent to the Conan world yeah so yeah picked it up it's just sort of a timeless like archetype right like it, it's just like the perfect choice for just yeah so much so that it's like obviously so 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 obvious the influence <laughs> that it is here mm-hmm. and i was watching some of this backstory like documentaries and making ads and stuff where they're basically like uh make it francetta but not too close just mm-hmm. get right like, up there. yeah do it yep. conan but not all the way well, they like, tried to get. The they tried to get Conan, right? It's like, but then they saw what the movie was going to be. They're like, oh, well, that's like a little dark. We can't be the Arnold Schwarzenegger for kids. Well, yeah, not yeah. to skip around too much, just chaotically in this conversation as we are We're usually want to do. But I do want to save some time at some point in this conversation to talk about the weird like prohibition against violence of He Man. Oh yeah, and that whole thing because I find it just fascinating generally and. Uh, Super bizarre. Uh-huh. And uh, like, I think a, a running theme that will emerge in this conversation is how much these like intense restrictions can actually fuel creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sure. Because like, it doesn't like I just sit down and I'm hearing this story about how it's made. And it's like, we, we need toys like we're a toy company. Make toy like do stuff. What is good? What do people like? And then they just like back into He-Man eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but they end up doing some really cool stuff. And um. One of my favorite examples that I picked up, it was in this documentary that you sent us, Jay. I think it's Power of Grayskull. Yes, that's a good name one. name of it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I loved the beginning parts. They're talking about, like, the inception of making these toys and the actual process that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, shit. Like, we need a vehicle or something. Oh, uh-huh. but we have no money. Um, take this tiger from this completely <laughs> unrelated, already existing set. And they, like... They can't even change the size of him. No. Like the reason that Battle Cat becomes yeah. like He Man's horse is because he was just really big in comparison to the it, model. I love they that, had. but it's like that's what a lot of art is, right? It's like okay, yeah. well, necessity is the mother of invention. It's like I got an idea. What if he rode the tiger? Yeah, it was like we put a we put a <laughs> right. saddle on, and I just like make him green. Fantasy, yeah. fantasy tiger, up. boom, zone. Yeah. Yeah. Just like what was the? And honestly, I love that. It was the other show. The um, 
it was like a jungle show that they took the tiger from. What was that? Do you remember? Oh, it was like something gym. It was like jungle, jungle gym or yeah, something. I, that, though. It was yeah. like, yeah. That uh, he was just like wrangling this tiger. Exactly. So they just like it's they kind of got a bunch of scraps of different toys and different ideas and different designs and um, Frankenstein these characters together in large part from uh, from what at least what I learned in that documentary. And I, I think the thing that really keeps it all together with those original models is, yeah, if you take if you take the heads off, a lot of the bodies are like three versions, especially in the first and second phase. But um, like the heads are very distinct and they're like extremely expressive, which I don't think was really something that was going on, because when you look at the Star Wars toys, they're quite bland, like they're really just rigidly standing there, yeah. whereas like these characters are so much more cartoonish in their um, like they're mid pose almost like they're about to do something in a way I think a lot of toys weren't. And I, I think that primes it to be it's just like a great starting spot for a kid's imagination that the Star Wars stuff wasn't doing or even, you know, G.I. Joe was. But even that they're a little blank face. But He-Man is so like. Emotive. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that they really got right was the way that they articulated the characters and. It, that was a true selling point. It wasn't just like, oh, like we just had these parts laying around. That is something that they thought about and made it actually cool. Like you could put these guys in these really, you know, dynamic poses and it looked like they were about to do something cool. Right. You know, the Star Wars characters, mm -hmm. like the Kenner characters, they all had straight, straight arms and legs. Like, <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm going to go sit in my the X-Wing now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Just jam in there. Straight leg. Um. Well, yeah, like I have never seen muscles like I do on He-Man. I know we all know that, but just like the plastic, the rippling plastic just on this man. The heiest man of all time. Yeah, like big Actually, he energy. Actually, since we're on the topic, I'm going to show you the, um, and you won't be able to see this, folks at home. We can describe but it the, um, to the audience. This Imagine was the Super 7 figure listening. of uh, Laughing Prince Adam. So Super <laughs> 7 made a... They did a whole run of um, special edition characters um, and regular characters. They did some of the original characters and just kind of re-released them. Um, but this one, mm -hmm. you know, they, they released at Comic-Con in 2017 or 2018. And, you know, it has like the rainbow on yeah, yeah, it's it glitter it's so great. and all of that. But and it's actually I think this one is more articulated than um, let's see. Yeah, I think his his arms bend a little different, like in oh, okay, two places, yeah. and his wrists rotate. So they added more articulation, but the body model is essentially the same. Yeah, it, it must yeah. feel the same yep. to, to it hold does. it. It just moves it, more. It's the childhood yeah. toy. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, something we got to give some credit towards, because I think a big part of uh, the promise of the, the world of He-Man that comes together with, you know, the cartoon, the toy line. And you've got the mini comics, which is that first placement of the narrative arc, because I, I someone on the team must have known that it's like, it can't just be a great toy is just not good enough mm -hmm. anymore because we've seen, we've seen great toys, but um, to put a <laughs> story out now. Yeah. <laughs> but those little comics are great. And um, also the packaging art, like uh, who's the guy? Okay. So we've got Mark Taylor who's one of the character designers. You have Ted Mayers, who's the vehicle guy. And Rudy Obrero mm -hmm. is painting like the packaging art. And I'm, I'm, and I think 
between him and Mark Taylor, you get like the box for Castle Grayskull is like just such a masterpiece yeah. of fantasy art. It's so dark and moody in a way that I think things like Adventure mm-hmm. Time and, and like cartoons from the last decade or so try to capture a bit in their work again. But um, you really didn't see kid stuff being like that dark and stormy and it was yeah, grimy and too. That's- Right, like the rock was so textured. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what freaked out all the parents at that time, because it <laughs> yeah. looked like just at a glance, it kind of looks like dark fantasy, um, and it, the way that they're mm-hmm. um, the like the interpretation of the universe. Like, I think it was cool how these illustrators. Yeah, that's one benefit, I guess, of having practically a blank slate. It's like, all right, we have these characters, but we have no story, no universe. Go, go make something. And they're like, okay, <laughs> right. I'm going to make the coolest thing I can think of. And they are. Like, it's cool. I don't know. To me, it's cool in the Rats of Nim kind of way. Like, it's so dark. Oh, yeah. It's got a slight bit of tech, but it's mostly fantasy magic shit. colorful. Yeah. Like, I, I don't have that much to say from a, like, making of standpoint. But I really like the use of color in He-Man stuff in the cartoon, especially. Uh-huh. And even in these, like, the paintings that he was doing, that Rudy O'Brien was doing, they're very striking and they're they often have some weird like there's a lot of green in them too mm-hmm. obviously like for the battle cat stuff but just yeah. like weird colors i'm like yeah like yeah, that's really the, nice the rules of like secondary and primary colors in the storytelling of he-man and like on to ninja turtles and all those 80s cartoons that's i feel like that's also fundamental in like at least how me as a cartoonist like thinks about how i pick colors for character designs it's all really rooted in here because you know without those comics or other things the storytelling kind of just has to exist in the model itself right it's like well who's the good guys and bad guys what if i threw out the package i don't know but Mm -hmm. you can tell because purple is a bad guy color it was very obvious um yeah those hero Mm -hmm. colors and you know when you would look at the box art i just remember getting a new figure and looking at the box and there's just like a whole world sort of opens up. It like caused you to wonder like what else was going on. Like it felt like a world that you wanted to be a part of more than the figures in in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Like, you know, the figures were kind of a placeholder, but to me, the most appealing thing about masters of the universe was always the universe itself. Like the story universe. It's, it's actually legit, really cool. Yeah. So a couple guys, before we get into the cartoon itself, we just got to give a little yeah. credit to uh, Donald Glute and Alfred Alcala, giving so much credit. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right or not, but th- these are the mini comic guys. And um, I think they're well-versed in comics. I'm like, going to say this quickly for the audience, because yeah. if you're like me, a baby child born past the <laughs> 80s, they put little tiny mini comic books inside the toy packages to tell you the story of He-Man. Yeah, they're like little, they're like two and a half to three inches tall. I actually, not to be like, well, actually about it, but they're not, they're not, they're not very comic-y and they don't really use frames and like sequential art. It's like an image with a block of text underneath. Yeah, they, the they struck me run. as more like children's books, yeah. actually, in that way. Yeah, but comics sounds cooler. And there were comics like DC, you know, put like there's an iconic like He-Man versus Superman mm-hmm. issue around somewhere, which is like total nonsense. Very strange. But I'm sure worth, you know, $530 or something. Have you been uh, looking? No, <laughs> I don't know. around. About right now, that type of thing. <laughs> uh, let it be known, I do not collect comics. He does. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I don't know. Uh, okay. So 
So we kind of plant the seeds for what the world can be, how we can mix and match these characters. We got the, the models, we got the faces, we've got the color schemes. And then, you know, Mattel's like, well, we need that cherry on top, that cartoon. So they go to Hanna-Barbera first, not into it. Um, and I actually was looking into this a little bit. It was in one of the videos. I can't, I can't remember which one. But uh, they started off with sort of like a rundown of Mattel's history of like Saturday morning cartoon. And there's some pretty silly shit in there. There's like a, <laughs> from the late 60s, there's a, there's a Hot Wheels cartoon. What? Which I can't imagine what, what the hell what that was about. What did they do? I uh, imagine it's ripping cars? off Speed Racer or something. Was there but, anybody driving them? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just saw a couple of clips and it's like, yeah, well, that's the thing. I think it's Speed Racer asking that there's like a, tra a track and a uh -huh. competition probably. I don't think they're like uh, anthropomorphic cars, which would yeah, happen later. What a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, One of my favorite genres. So there's already kind of like, uh, I guess, a little uh, preset of we can kind of sell toys by marketing them with cartoons, but it's not really until like Ronald Reagan in the 80s kind of says that, now fuck it. You can sell whatever you want to kids. The, mm -hmm. the rules are off. No right? holds barred. So by the time... Yeah, and this is the world we live in now. So thanks, Reagan. Whatever, we're, we're doing the best we can. But um, okay, so Mattel attaches itself to filmation. Mm -hmm. True. Okay. I don't know if yeah. you were asking, but uh, no, they have a great title card. I'll say that they have a fantastic yep. title card and a very cool sound that goes with the title card. Oh, that is a whole aesthetic yeah. and vibe unto itself. Yeah. Can I just say, I really appreciate in the 80s, they were like, make it rainbow, but the green is like a nice mm -hmm. teal. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Perfect. Beautiful. Crisp. Yeah. I I borrowed that sound for my Slack Circus little mnemonic. Yeah. And it's great. Like, I don't want to change it, really. Like, I'm not allowed to use it, technically, but... Filmation, hang up. Don't yeah, listen exactly. to this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Please. I don't know if they still exist. Me. Uh. But it sounds yeah. like a like a pile of bones or like a marimba or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. with the gleam at the end because it's like this is the '80s and everything's a yeah. little shiny. Yeah. Mm. And while while everybody was watching stuff on TV all the time every day at this point, there's something about this period because He-Man was on like five mm -hmm. days a week at least. There was little else like hearing those little sounds and seeing those little title cards like that. This feels like the beginning of all that setting itself into like the collective consciousness. And it's just like, if you played that sound right now, I would know it. You would mm -hmm. probably know it too, even though you weren't yeah, there Yeah, I didn't really time, watch right? it, yeah. Um, it, it's just really fascinating how we're like trapped with with this yeah. era. I don't think it'll ever go away, I really. Definitely, I mean, you can constantly I can confidently it. say it's never going to go away. Um, the, yeah. And it's like, we just, we need source material constantly. Everyone that's creating stuff, like, so much content to create. <laughs> um, I know, <laughs> the, the lament, lament. where are we going to get all this stuff? Well, the <laughs> 80s is a treasure trove. Right. So, okay, so we've got Louis Scheimer, head of animation, uh, you know, big Conan guy, lo loved uh, Frank, of course, and all that stuff. So he, he was on board. He gets his team together, and they're like, look, this is a great deal for us because not sure what they were doing the b before. Who cares? But, you know, they're contracted for 65 episodes off the bat, 13-week schedule. All his animation team can uh, stay employed for, for a period of time. So they pick up the project. And then they're just pumping out He-Man episodes. And they have, they have a pretty, like, I would say 
they're doing a great job with the assignment yeah. they were mm-hmm. given, right? Like a lot of these stories are they're solid little like thirty minute uh, little riffs on like a, a fantasy. Yeah, a yeah fantasy they trope. you know and they took just all of these different facets within that universe and kind of explored them enough to conclusion. You know, different different character types. Um, you know, sort of like different cultural experiences and the way that they told stories, I thought was, um, uh, you know, yes, it was to sell toys, but a lot of it was really magnetic in that you would have these these episodes where you'd see this one character that you you see one time and then you never see again. And, um, and right. then, but they put a lot of, you know, as much effort as the budget would allow into uh in, into telling that story, which I, I thought was really cool. It wasn't just like the same five characters every time. Yeah, totally. And Caitlin, like we talk about this all the time, like everything is a job at some point, like no matter how cool it looks when it's done. And, so and, true, yes. Ira. I also agree. <laughs> Work. And, <laughs> and in any project, you have these little like moments, even the most, you could be so cynical about He-Man if you want, but these are real people, like real creative people doing interesting things within the space. So it's like, you know, even if you're like, all right, I'll listen to you guys talk about He-Man for a while. I recommend going back and watching some of these episodes because like there's some strong storytelling. Yeah, I want to say, and I'll probably get this a little mixed up because a lot of what I learned about the production process of this show and the toys happened in like the last two weeks. So it's all very fresh to me. Uh, so I'm going to lose track of like the writers that they had on this versus the whatever and the whatever. But I... For something that came out of, like, a raw capitalistic inquiry, I feel like everything they made is actually really good for what it was. And I think we all kind of know that as a a baseline. But, like, even hearing these these old guys now on this documentary talking about, like, oh, back then we were making this, like, and I said to him and he said to me and, like, that we... Grab the tiger from the other set, whatever. Like, it's really funny how much you can feel that they were, like, really enjoying Uh it Mm -hmm. and, like, really trying with what they had, which was basically nothing. So, because, like, I, I think it's easy, and I'm sure that at least behind the scenes to some degree there was this going on, but I think it's easy to assume in that process, like, oh, it's like the suits are working on this and there's no, you know, creativity. It's people like focus grouping to death. But really, and I think this is very beautiful. I think this became a spectacular opportunity for a bunch of nerds <laughs> to get to do their nerd shit yeah. that they'd love to do, that they'd like had inside yeah. them, you know? And then they were like, oh, I get to like make the story uh-huh. Bible for this and just kind of like unleash. Mm-hmm. Like, I think all of us dream... Uh, this is obviously universally relatable. All of us dream to find ourselves in such a situation. <laughs> I'd love to make a gainfully employed someday. and just yeah. be like, make it neat. Like, uh-huh. what's a neat thing? Yeah. I don't know. I was, I was watching the. Um, have, have y'all seen the uh, light, and, light and Magic documentary? Have you watched any of that? The the it's no, about industrial light and so. magic. It's like it's on Disney Plus. No, I Check haven't it seen it's it. Very, it's very cool. But it talks about the early, early days of industrial light and magic and when, you know, they had this enormous, enormous special effects, you know, request via George Lucas. Like, all right, I'm going to make this space epic. So how are we going to do it? And it was the same kind of deal with the He-Man animators where it was sort of like hmm. this ragtag gang. They just like, Hey, I know a guy that does this. Like, I know a guy that makes models. I know a guy that's a matte painter. I know, you know, like just all these people assembling this super team to just make weird stuff. 
hey, what are we supposed to be doing? Um, you can kind of do what you want. Like we just have these action figures, like we're just going to make it up. Cool. That sounds like pretty yeah. ideal to me. So I think they I think they were having a good time. So this is this is a studio that originally was working on. Uh, I think it's the early 50s, mid 50s uh, Superman mm -hmm. cartoon. That stuff looks really good. I don't, um, so it's like, yeah, there, there's like a, and, but there's a shift here. And Jay, maybe you know uh, a lot about this, maybe, uh, because you've kind of dissected these character models and stuff, like you've taken them apart and put them back mm -hmm. together. So I, I don't know, like, what do you know about the production of this? Because it, it doesn't look like anything I've really like thought a lot about. Like, it doesn't look like Disney. It doesn't look like Max Flesher. It doesn't look like Looney, Looney Tunes. Tunes. Like, is it rotoscoped yeah. or what? Like, how are these these pieces so being animated? A, a lot of it is a lot of it is rotoscoped, and um, you can see, you know, there's certain sequences that they repeat over and over again. Um, there's this one uh, photo that I remember in the Power of Grace, the Power of Grace Skull documentary where it has all of the actors that they based the rotoscope work on and, and they're kind of wearing the costumes and, and it's great. And like same build as he man. And so like, you know, there's this one sequence you'll see over and over again. I'm just going to get up to illustrate, but like he runs to the middle of frame, he looks back and forth and mm -hmm. then he runs off frame. That was rotoscope. And like, <laughs> um, there's this one where he like throws his sword back and forth rotoscope um i think most of the running like oh, they okay. did it a lot and um you know they had oh the laugh like the laugh that's in fabulous secret powers is a very <laughs> oft used sequence um in the show by multiple characters um <laughs> god i love that they're having a great time in eternity yeah i do want to say again i apologize that i'm just going to be like changing the subject but related to the laugh Thing. This made me think of a line, and I wish I could remember who said it in the documentary, but somebody had said um, they'd sort of protested against the, uh, in later years, the production of the toy line, that it sort of got like barbified, um, like barbification. Mm -hmm. I don't think he used that term, but uh, they were just like churning out new characters that really were just like these repaints of the old models. And he just felt that it got silly. And he was like, He-Man was never supposed to be silly. And I was like, <laughs> are you sure? Because... It strikes me as very silly, and I did watch uh -huh. a bunch of episodes to prep for this, but it, it strikes me as silly in a very intentional way. Like, it doesn't, like, it feels, even just the voices that they're doing, like, the voice of Skeletor is not how you would imagine if you just saw an image of Skeletor, and he's like, I'm the bad guy in this cartoon picture. Like, he's just so yeah. funny. Yeah, it's like a Batman and, villain from the 60s. Almost, yeah, right? and you, you kind of get the impression that the people like doing the voices are having fun. Like everything about it says like, we're having fun and we're not, yeah. this isn't like an epic sprawling tale. So I just yeah. thought that was interesting. Cause the laugh repeated over. I mean, I think there's such a charm in reusing animation yeah. like that. Yeah, completely. And it's like, they, um, you know, I think over time of these actors, I mean, it was a very small handful of actors that did everything and the voice of he-man was like 12 different characters any b character i guarantee it's one of the other main characters but they brought i remember there was one part maybe this is what you're talking about in the in the documentary where alan oppenheimer is talking about how he chose to read skeletor in this really <laughs> you know and he had this like <laughs> they they discovered that that people responded really well to funny skeletor you know where we he yeah. would have these you know, little jokes. And he was just sort of like this wacky 
gangster from the 20s. I mean, he he always has this like, it's like, <laughs> you'll never take me alive, coppers. <laughs> right. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> But he's talking to henchmen, and he was always like, "You stupid!" Mm-hmm. Like he—I don't think he's he so ever right. said that. Yeah. But yeah, he's just like, "What are you right. dumb?" Like he's, he's just very insulting, insulting and it's his, his very funny. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, because it's—it's like, it, and it doesn't go any further than that, right? There's no, um, there's no fallout of his behavior in any way. There's no like thematic like lines that go through mm-hmm. a story arc. It's all just like, we're here next week. We're recycling the same. The yeah. same drama. And it's like, what is Skeletor going to get up to this time? It's probably not going to yeah. be good, but. Hi, yep, James. And, and some of the situations are downright wacky, you know, where there's this one uh, episode called Evil Seed. It was. Did you watch? Oh, Evil I Seed? love Evil so Seed. So it's like yeah, the yeah. one where. So, Caitlin, in this in this episode, there's this plant creature named evil seed he, he looks like an onion head like his head literally looks like an onion and his mouth looks like a fish and um yeah exactly sense. and he uh <laughs> he casts this spell like he basically makes these vines grow all over eternia and everyone's like all of the the bad guys they're all like trapped in vines and they can't run their vehicles because the vines are caught in the wheels and um evil seeds about to take over the entire planet and Skeletor and He-Man are like, well, I guess this one time we're going to have to work together <laughs> to defeat Evil Whoa, Seed. Can you believe it? Yeah. Okay, I am actually going to go home and watch that episode. Um, I feel like that's probably was a mind-blowing thing for a kid because I think that's like late in season yeah. two even. It's like there had been a hundred episodes of like just black and white antagonism between He-Man and Skeletor. Yep. Suddenly, they're, in, uh, they're hanging out. Yeah. Common ground. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Evil Seed. To fight, to fight nature. Thanks, yeah. Stro. <laughs> yeah, it is important to stamp right, out nature. Exactly. That's what I took away. That was in the PSA, actually, in that episode. <laughs> yeah, what we sucks. learned today is that but, there should be no regulations of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, President Reagan. Can we really quickly to talk about the PSAs, which I didn't know existed until very recently because I'd never properly uh, seen uh-huh. an episode? Mm-hmm. And also, I kind of love them. Um, there was some open disdain uh, from some of the writers on the show who were like, we just did this as a concession to the consultants who wanted everything to be like fluffy and nonviolent, like happy for the kids. And I was like, I think your show is better for these because it'll be like an episode about, I don't know, He-Man, like finding his baby tiger and raising mm-hmm. him from a cub or whatever, and then like becoming friends and unlocking their true potential. And then at the end, they'll be like, don't drink out of anything that has a skull uh-huh. icon on it because it's poison and it'll kill you. That's the PSA. Exactly. Bye. And several of them were a pretty big stretch. Uh, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how, if that's exactly the takeaway from this episode, but I appreciate you trying. Uh, they're like, yeah, they're not like... wrong. Like, I don't know. In a way, maybe we should bring that back. I can't think of the equivalent in children's media. I'm not watching a lot of children's media, I guess. Well, and now um, it's like everything in, in children's media from what uh, I've seen. It's like, well, the show itself, it, it has to have um, goodwill and lessons and everything sort of woven into how it's created. Right. And it's like in the He-Man days and G.I. Joe days, um, I mean, they were basically exploiting a loophole. Um, you know, it's like, well, you can pretty much do whatever you want. <laughs> 
as long as there's a lesson at the end, as long as you tell the kids, don't go near the downed power lines. But the episode can have anything that, that you want. Not anything, but uh, yeah, there's there's a there are a lot of uh, political uh, forces at play during this time, for sure. It's interesting because from like a how much more work would it have been to interweave you know, some of those thematic elements add a bit of morality to these stories. Like, so for the evil seed one, it's like you you have kind of an Ents type character from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Like you could reflect on like humans relationship with nature very easily with like a couple lines of dialogue. And it's not there. In fact, I, I would almost say <laughs> I'm probably bringing this to the table a little bit. But with this episode, I was really waiting for that just because when you see enough fantasy stuff, you kind of expect uh-huh. certain things when it's like, oh, like an ancient plant character emerges. Clearly, it's going to be about this. But um, it's uh, Evil Seed's death scene is pretty well animated when he uh-huh. kind of he breaks apart. Of course, he like it become uh, He-Man makes it snow. He like yeah. punches an ice. Right. Wow. If you're He-Man, that's how you change the weather. Yeah. Yeah. It's very convoluted how they get him to punch it. It takes like 10 minutes of planning. But of course, it tricks (laughs) Evil Seed. That's the challenge. And so now he thinks it's snowing. So he thinks his season of dominance is over. He's Mm -hmm. missed his window. And he crumbles into fall. Um, You know, autumn. I I liked the season. Evil Seed. He falls. And it's like, technically, it's kind of a, a little, almost beautiful. Maybe not, but... You know why? Why not throw a couple lines in there that give this story I, uh, a little for more. your viewing pleasure? Know. If you're able, I put a link in the chat um, to a vine that I made about the Evil Seed episode because <laughs> I liked it so much. <laughs> and this is like the moment of his death. Okay, I'm putting the oh, Evil okay. Seed episode on my iPad right now it's to like, enjoy no, it's all no. we <laughs> Oh, he hates it. It's oh, it's well wow. done animation yeah. though, right? It's like it gets it gets a little more, you know, um, into it, and I think it stands out maybe mostly because you know, like you were saying, a, a lot of the rest of the animation is kind of mm-hmm. recycled stuff. That and looks really get, brutal, honestly, too. Like it, that it actually looks bit. pretty cutting when he just collapses yeah. in on himself like that. Some days I am evil seed <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure there's very little death in this show overall, and um. All the characters are standing around watching his demise. Yeah, and they're just like, they're so looking like... on like happy, like what? <laughs> what? He just melted like the, the guy in Indiana Jones. It's no big deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the way out, evil scene. I, I just wonder what my young mind was thinking with this stuff. It's I was like, is this how you're supposed to react when nature dissolves in front uh-huh. of you? Like, are you just supposed to stare? Unblinking. Well, what can we do, Ira? I, to the void. You know, That's you true. were, <laughs> Ira, you were talking before about how, like, they the animators explored um, a lot of they they covered a lot of ground, um, and also they had a mm. lot of time to fill. I I really feel like the random enemies is where this show really shines. Slash is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, like they just ran out of they ran out of ideas. There, there's this one. Um, uh, episode where the the enemy it's like, he's just like fire he's like fire with a so- he looks like pizza the hut from uh uh from space balls he's just like this space big balls. flame and it's like rawr, rawr, you know and it's supposed to be the most evil force in the world i'm like the most evil force in the universe right. he looks ridiculous <laughs> 
there's a they they do nail it a couple times though early on, right? There's something that's just really perfect about blending a little bit of technology with mm-hmm. the fantasy because you get you get all the cool vehicles, you get like a man at arms, yeah. right? He's he's like almost RoboCop mm-hmm. kind of in a way. Yep. Um and you know a character that was this doesn't need to turn into like let's list our favorite characters, but one but of my could. favorite characters uh was uh Mordok, who was kind of like a, a red demonic type character that came a little later, and his body parts could like unplug oh, yeah. and replug in all these different mm-hmm. forms. And uh, you know, it's like characters like that, they they only kind of emerge because it's trying to play to a gimmick of a toy, which is just a really interesting space. It's like an art artistic realm that only gets played with when you have like Mattel and filmation teaming up to create yeah. synergy. I mean, that's, and they just, and they just had to figure it out. You know, it's like I, the, uh, yeah. uh, the, I, I was looking and studying the design of man E faces recently, um, for a video that I'm working on. And could you describe that so, character to um, the audience? Man E faces. I'll, I'll start with the action figure. Because um, that's where, you know, the animators had to just figure this out. Like, how are we going to make a story about this guy? (laughs) And so um, he basically has the same build as He-Man, same build as all of the Masters of the Universe characters. Yeah, fun fact, they all have the same muscular structure. Exactly the same mold. Like, literally Literally. the same mold. (laughs) And the difference with Manny Faces, though, is he kind of has a... uh, Are you familiar with that, uh, that guitarist Buckethead? Where he wears he wears the Kentucky Fried Chicken helmet, you know. So it's like he basically has like a upside down bucket on his head, and the action figure had this little rotating dial at the top, and so you could rotate the dial, and his face would switch from regular human face to robot face to green scary monster face. So he had that is kind of genius, honestly. Shout out to whoever came up with that. It was pretty cool, and in the the episode, the way that they. the story that they wrote around Manny faces was that um, he's actually kind of a, um, a thespian at heart. Um, He enjoys the stage. He enjoys the theater. And so, um, of course he, uh, but he's kind of an out of control being. He has these other uh, spirits that sort of inhabit him, the robot and the, um, the, uh, the monster. And so it's, Big season yeah, kid exactly. Energy. I mean, who is, <laughs> can any of us not relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> Inside him, there are two wolves. Exactly. So uh, Skeletor, of course, finds a way to exploit uh, Manny Faces mm. and take control of the robot side of him and the monster side of him, and it pushes out the good side of him. And so in the end, He-Man saves him and... Um, He's able to control his emotions. Finally, got that under under wraps now, and then mm-hmm. um, he gets to pursue his theater career. And he gives a big performance to the entire kingdom at the end. He wears a cape and everything. Wait, is that part that last part? That's true. Is like true. I've got the episode right here. Okay, thought you were no, just no, no. Like it's literally <laughs> like I am using that clip in the music video that I'm working on right now because it's so awesome. People are throwing roses up at him, and it's it's so great. Oh. Yeah, this show is perfect for that. We gotta do some process chat. It is a show like you know, it's the thing you're selling to kids, right? Is agency with all this stuff. It's like I have the power. It's like you too, child, could like 
break away from your parents in but a tiny way and that you could bang two plastic figures together on uh, your front lawn. And I will. On a Saturday afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what it's selling. Um, so it's like, what's the basis of that? It's like any cartoon art. It's like all about the emotive energy and like the ebb and flow of it over the course of like X mm-hmm. amount of time, right? And He-Man, you know, all these characters are doing that. And I can give it a hard time for not being about like environmentalism or whatever, but the emotional stakes like are totally there pretty much at all times, even if their faces kind of don't always reflect yeah. completely. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because every single time they're thrust into this situation that, that could potentially destroy the entire planet or universe or something, they're dealing with these really big forces. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you you kind of have to, I think the lesson they tried to put in there was like, well, you, you use your brain, um, use the, the strengths that you have. And even if it's not like literal strength, um, teamwork makes the, uh, mm-hmm. the dream work. <laughs> what is that phrase? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you just made that up. That was a JL and a Ridge. I'll call it. my screen printer. I've got an idea. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that's why it, there's, I, I think that's why it grabbed kids the way that it did was like what you said, the agency part of it, because when you're that age, you have control over nothing. You know, your 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 parent like even in the commercials, yeah. did you happen to watch any of the old Mattel commercials? Yes, yeah. Where the dad is there right, the whole the time there. being super <laughs> intrusive. Right. Like, Playtime dad. <laughs> then the kid also like punches him out because it's like, take that skeletor, and the dad's playing skeletor, and then he's like, ah, and he like falls back on the couch. Right. He's like Every kid exactly. wants to punch wants their to dad. Punch dad. Like, I have the power. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the, the dad. You know the the uh, the tech element with this stuff. I want to come oh, back yeah. to that a little bit because you know it, it's just it, it's just really interesting the the way um, like technology plays a role in this show because because even in the aesthetic of like the music the the synths of it all. And I think that's part of the reason this is still, it resonates because it's like a way to do stuff really mm-hmm. cheap, like the synthesizers available <laughs> at the time to do these soundtracks and all these sound effects. It's not like the old school Foley art that we're uh-huh. like used to in older yep. cartoons. It's like a whole different realm. So like 80s tech, like the perception of technology in in this area is really interesting because it's like... Every kid definitely wants a computer and cannot wait for the internet. They just don't know what it is yet. And the best they can do is get a plastic figure that's got like a monitor mounted on its chest or like a robot with a clear body. What's his name? Roboto? Um, Who's the... I think it is Roboto, right? Roboto or something. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, the He-Man guy that's got the clear yeah, chest and the little Roboto. gears in it. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> it's just like the pursuit of like of AI and stuff. It's, it's all like here, like kids, everybody wants it so bad, but we're not ready. And we have no idea what's to come and how awful it's going to be. (laughs) I will. Yeah. This show has a very like liberating feeling to me where it was like problems. Never heard of it. I don't know. It does like brings me back to a time by bedtime. It's all kind of like it, it. This to me is like the epitome of like in your childhood, like you don't know about bad stuff Uh yet Mm -hmm. and the biggest problems are like beating the bad guy with your buds Uh kind of a deal um and there's something kind of nice about that like there it's a double-edged sword because on the other hand you can have like 
Um, I don't know enough about this show to like criticize it intensely, but obviously a lot of stuff from the 80s had like cultural insensitivity problems mm-hmm. at best or like whatever. There was probably, you could pin this some sexism stuff on this, at least in the terms of the making of, prob- you know, somewhere, mm-hmm. whatever. So there is that as well. We knew less stuff back then, I think, generally, and could say less stuff. But mm-hmm. there's just something about it where you're like, oh, I really wish that we could go back mm-hmm. to this. <laughs> I wish we could go back to this time where our, like... I want to live in a skull castle. Yeah. And have a big cat. And the sorceress. I, I would like to wear a bird headdress. She looks yeah. so cool. Yeah, can we tell her design look. is She's banging? And then she can turn into like a hog. Like, but with the same color. Yeah, I like mm. I love really the, nice. Like just the the colors. One, like I love the the, the color theory that went into that character design is so cool. <laughs> and the, what, the, the way that she looks as a bird and the way that she talks like. She's just like cool as a cucumber all the time. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. legitimately yeah. badass. She knows everything. Right. Yeah. She's been there. She's been through it. Uh-huh. Unassailable. Um, right. Can fly away, which is like very desirable, I think. You could just leave mm-hmm. at any time. I could just go. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah, the freedom. The freedom to fly. I wish I could do that. And she's a character that, that uh, like hints at a deeper story to this whole world in general right like that's part of the magic of like well it's not like the show tells you everything it's like you can go you know when the show's over you go play with your toys and you like extend the adventure that's a very particular type of Mm -hmm. storytelling that that's being done like you can't give it all away and um but if you just kind of put the characters in the right place like the kids can kind of take it further. yeah that's a really good point in how like characters like the sorceress pointed to an even larger universe than what the show existed in. You know, they explored other dimensions, but they explored the, you know, vastness of, you know, multiple galaxies and all of that. Every There's a, a couple of episodes. There's this character, Zodak, that's like this very wise, you know, he's a uh, wise being. He's thousands of years old. And he'll show up on this magical flying throne every once in a while and hang out with the sorceress in a sort of like a meeting of the mind sort of, you know, it's like they're the only two that know the, the mm-hmm. actual scope of the threat that they're facing. And um, just the fact that there's like, all right, there's this other there's this other plane somewhere within this story universe that we haven't even seen yet. And I mean, as a as a universe mm-hmm. to kind of play in, I think that's always really fun when it's like, you know, that it goes way deeper than what you're what you're seeing. Right. And they open it up a little bit when they introduce. So, you know, first wave of He-Man, you got Skeletor, you got He-Man. And then we introduce Skeletor's uh, mentor, I guess, Hordak, who's a little more has like a different relationship with like tech and magic, where Skeletor feels like he's more magic based, like Hordak has like a different uh, relationship with like technology Uh and a lot of his clan and like groupies uh cohorts they they have a a slightly different feel and i remember having an opinion about that i didn't know why but i was like you know you can feel it sort of iterating away from that original source material and it doesn't you know this is only a couple years later like of course in the mind of a child this is like he-man spans centuries but it's really only like a a couple years in the 80s yeah (laughs) i mean it's syndicated but there's only how many episodes are there maybe like there's on is it under 200 there's like 130 i think total what is it 130 130. yeah that's not like a whole lot of content it was just it wasn't a whole lot of content 
and it was ever present. You know, like you said, it was five days a week. Right. It was just always around. And the, uh, the, the action figures were at Toys R Us on the end cap, right in your face all the time. And then the live action movie. And it was just, it was, it was, you couldn't avoid it, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> just don't yeah, be exactly boring. you really you really <laughs> crack the code on that one and so I cried sometimes when I'm lying in bed to get it all up what's in my head I, I like with this sort of thing. I like to think about what they knew on the the backside in the dark boardrooms of, of villainy, because this show, you know, okay, think of a more modern cartoon. Take like a fantasy show, like Adventure Time again. That show iterates very far from what it started oh, yeah. as. Like most mm-hmm. shows do, instantly they jump away from what that that first seed of an idea was, and they bring in new creative teams, and it expands. He-Man doesn't do any of that. Is it because they didn't think people could handle it? Because even as soon as they bring in She-Ra, it starts to break down. Even though you could say this She-Ra show is uh-huh. as good, like the animation is even a little better. The characters yeah. are richer. But because you break the formula just a bit, it breaks the audience up just enough where it starts to collapse just yeah. a little. Is You know, it's like, do they know not to mess with people or were they I, just... They didn't, you know, know, it's like, I don't know when you think about, you know, when you think, when you think about like how, how the show actually came together and the conditions under which it, it kind of formed, right. They already were on, you know, in some way, you know, we're talking about how much freedom they had, but also they were on pretty tight rails because they had these, these characters, Mm -hmm. every, every single, uh, you know, character and vehicle in the show, it's drawn exactly like the action figure or vehicle and all of that. And then you had like, you know, the the political climate at the time and parents groups and um, the Christian Evangelical South, um, which I have a book I'll share with you that my parents gave to me called Turmoil in the Toy Box, which is a very interesting read. Um, Wow, please. There's a link to that. It's like the first link that I put in there. Um, But I think they were I have to imagine I don't know this. I have to think that they were a little afraid to mess with the formula at all. It's like, all right, well, we got something that's successful. Mm. We're like in bounds. We're able to do what we want. And, you know, kids like it. We're selling a bunch of toys. If we try to change something, that could be disastrous, you know? And it's like, I'm sure they were approached to do a Transformers crossover episode or or something like that. (laughs) Or, I mean, and they, you know, like, most kids toys at that time later had a dinosaur phase. Like, all right, everything has to have dinosaurs now. I mean, I do find the image of them on dinosaurs Mm -hmm. very compelling. Just as somebody who wasn't no bias from nostalgia. I just, I saw a picture of it in the documentary and I was like, yeah, Yeah. yes. But I will say battle cat, I think is my favorite character. Like, Oh, Battle yeah, Cringer, yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah, the loyal. He doesn't. Yeah. I actually didn't really realize um, that he talks so much. Yeah. yeah. I don't. Like, I think I was aware that he talked, but um, he talks a lot. <laughs> like, more he than does. I remember. I don't know. He's got opinions. Um, but he's right. a badass when he's like Battle Cat. So, yeah, he was always right. my fave. And when he's yeah. Cringer, he's like the, you know, dopey. It's like, oh, God. He's like goofy, basically. <laughs> 
It's like, I don't right. know. I, I actually know. love that. What another weird choice where he's like, I don't uh-huh. know about this, I'm guys. Yeah. I don't oh, want to go oh, in oh, there. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> and then he gets forced to be battle yeah, cat. And then he's like, Wouldn't you want to be big and powerful? He's like, he's scared of the of the lightning bolts, I guess. It's like, yeah, he doesn't want to do the work. (laughs) Yeah, well, my dog's afraid of lightning, too, so I guess you're never going to beat that fear out of an animal. Yeah, that's fair. If you're smart enough, It would make more sense if He-Man just had a big spray bottle. It's like, all right, get over here, Krender. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing it. Sorry, this is the way that you have to transform. This is, I didn't write the rules. I do, based on what you were saying, and I don't know if you know the answer, I am very perplexed. Uh, I absorbed all of this historical information about the He-Man cartoon and the franchise as a whole, and I still cannot figure out why it failed. And it seemed to fail very spectacularly when it did. And so obviously it's not gone forever because here we are all talking about it and it's been rebooted a couple times and all of this stuff. But I just don't know... I recall that they mentioned a couple times that even though the show was very successful, they were just like, and we're done and just didn't make any more, which just immediately strikes me as a very strange decision. Yeah. I don't quite understand how that lines up with She-Ra and like how that happened. And then there were some movies and stuff. But the one thing that I do recall specifically is a couple people blamed it on this overproduction of toys and just like creating all of this new stuff. And then the toys sat on the shelf and it devalued everything and then it just bottomed out. But it was like a lot of bottoming out, like yeah. big failure. And I just, I'm wondering, like, what was going on in the 80s that caused He-Man to just eat itself alive randomly? I, I don't know the exact answer to that. I think yeah, it's I Nintendo. Mean, it was it, Nintendo. It had, I mean, yeah, seriously. That makes sense. I mean, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Because they tried, you know, that they, um, they had a couple of He-Man video games early on on the Intellivision and they had one on the Atari 2600, but you know, franchises that are, you know, that sign the rights over to a video game and on those consoles. Like you just really couldn't do that much. I mean, it's like uh, how many squares can you really work with? You know? Um, yeah. I can't display all of these exactly. pectorals. It really loses the imp- I mean, this but many imagine bits. like, he-Man being very, very popular around the time of, uh, like, the Super NES. Like, that would have killed, maybe. That would have been pretty cool. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Right, like, Altered yeah, Beast exactly. era kind of, exactly. like, gaming. Yeah. So, I think, I, I don't know. Did you, in any of your research, Ira, did you come across anything? Like, what was the nail in the coffin? I feel like it really is just, um, well, I heard somebody note that, uh, well, Nintendo first in the mind. I looked into that and um, somebody was claiming that Nintendo even pulled the He-Man tagline because the tagline of Nintendo was now you're playing with power. Uh So they're still like capitalizing on like, you thought you had agency before with your stupid little plastic spring-loaded guys with no (laughs) shirts on? What if you had a what if you had a gun and you could shoot a duck on your TV? Yes, hell yeah. (laughs) What if you had a power glove? What if you had your own robot? Yeah. Where do I sign? So I I think it just sort of stole its thunder. Literally, there were thunderbolts and lightning ever. Very, know, very frightening. It's kind of, it's the same like marketing <laughs> strategy, right? Like, uh, but I, I think it's just, it's just the time, time was up. It was time for yeah. video games. And the 80s were a very fickle time 
as well. You know, there was just like the tastes were changing very, very rapidly, maybe not as rapidly as now, mm-hmm. but uh, there was always something waiting in the wings to to take anything's place. And we had short attention spans, too. Like like you said, I think He-Man was what, two or three years, really. And then. Yeah, 1983 yeah. to 1985. Uh-huh. Right. And that poor that they poor team of paint. animators, really, they just kind of lost their job suddenly because I bet they felt like they're like, we're going to ride this to the grave. But like after two seasons, they're just like, no, syndication mm-hmm. is uh, where They just didn't realize going. how quickly the grave mm-hmm. would come. <laughs> <laughs> they, just, they crashed yep. right into it. But, um, you know, like it was uh, pre-internet, it's hard to build your community. It's hard to sign a petition. It's hard to like get a Netflix series in this time. Like there was no Almost way to impossible. sustain. <laughs> there was no way to sustain the fandom like there is now, right? Like you could, you could spin this sort of thing off into a million types of uh, things now, and well, they, yeah, have, they have, right? It's like yeah. you, you know, He Man is is not as big as ever. Nothing will be as big as a thing like that in the '80s was, but. There's shows that look good with like characters with way more interest, like the same characters, but done for a modern, more literate, like Mm -hmm. TV savvy audience who like doesn't need the toy. Like they want characters with story. Like the She-Ra cartoon was awesome. Uh, Yeah, I didn't, I haven't seen it, but it has like a very dedicated fan base as well. Like it went over very well. Yeah. And even the new He-Man, like Masters of the Universe Revelations, I, I watched a couple of clips of it. It's really well done. The voice acting is amazing. Like they're taking it seriously, but they're also trying to take it back to that look of that original in a way that some of the other He-Man, like the She-Ra show is kind of yeah, doing its, its own thing. It's very but. cool. I mean, it, the thing that's that's pretty neat about the newer installments of Masters of the Universe is the creators behind it um, have real, I mean, I think this it shares this with the original creators. They took the assignment very seriously and it shows like there's a lot of love in the craft of of Shira and in in Revelation and uh it's I don't know it's just it's cool to it, it sort of justifies like for every every fan of the show um that you know you kind of get uh drawn in by the universe right you kind of get uh mm-hmm. like I always knew that given the right budget and the you know the right technology this could be really great like you could tell a really cool story and I feel like that's coming yeah. through in these newer um, these newer He-Man series. It's very cool to see. There's something about the, um, like we talk a lot about how all these shows, even if they have like a creator's name on the front, it's all a collaboration between like a million different people, right? And this show is so much that, like you can't really put, you know, we could, we could rattle off the name of the writers. We can talk about marketing people. We could talk about illustrators, packaging, design. But there's no, like, one name that's the visionary. There's no George Lucas mm-hmm. for this sort of thing. It really is about the people that loved it, the people that made it, and how that all kind of, like, continues to work yeah. together, right? Which is, like, a, a nice thing to think about. I think about. it's, like, a creative dream in a way. Like, you obviously want more money mm-hmm. and, like, more runway and everything if I'm fantasizing about my perfect situation and there is no limit because it's in my fantasy. But, yeah, like, it's cool to just be, like, me and my ragtag yeah. group of buds whipped this up out of literally nothing. Yeah. And then it became this, like, runaway uh-huh. success. Well, and, it, you know, that it's true. I don't think you can, you know, really attribute it to any one person. It was definitely the whole team. I think the type of studio that that Lou Scheimer ran had a lot to do, um, you know, just just with the mm-hmm. dynamic and the way like from everything that I've read, just the type of person that he was and, you know, how he kind of started with kindness and he started with 
inclusiveness. And he started with, um, you know, like we're, we're not going to do something that we, that we don't believe in. Um, I, I, this is a, a quick sidebar. I had to, I have not read this email since, or for, for many, many years, but I found it as we've been, as we've been talking and this was crazy. Like I did not see this coming. Um, so Ooh. this was the, the, the cut to commercial <laughs> right now. Fade to black. You won't believe what Jay says <laughs> and we're next. <clears throat> and we're, and we're back. back. Yes. <laughs> um, this was, uh, May 2nd, 2006, uh, subject linked to fabulous secret powers at Slack circus from, uh, from Amy Rosenberg to Adam at Slack circus. So originally I had this email address, Adam, as in Prince Adam. And I had this online persona, Adam had a blog. <laughs> And all of this stuff, and so holy um, shit, dude! I didn't hey know about there, that. Hey there, Adam. I'm writing to see if we can put a link to your terrific, fabulous secret powers He-Man parody video on Lou Shimer's new website. The old site is still up now. If you want to check us out, it's very modest. But in any case, we would love to be able to show <laughs> it to the old He-Man gang via Lou's website. Aww. Here's the link I'm talking about, just in case this URL will change when your new Slack Circus site is up. Um, uh. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. That uh, is awesome, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's like, who, who does that? I, I you know, it, so I, my, my response was, hello. It's <laughs> no, like, thanks. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, show me the money, Lou. Um, <laughs> Lose my email. Uh, yeah. yeah, I said, hello. Um, it would be an honor to have a link from Lou's website. I guess technically he has more of a right to show fabulous secret powers than we do. <laughs> anyway, we're big fans of the original series here at Slack Circus. Um, let me know once the new site is up. We'll be glad to link over to it as well from Adam's blog. Um, but I, it is, I, I was thinking about this because of the kindness. You know, it was sort of like, hey, we think yeah. that this is really cool. You know, yeah, they, they got, got it. it. Yeah. It's like, and, it, and like, it made me feel good personally. Like, they got that I wasn't making fun of their show, that I love their show. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just saw it as right, like, right. hey, this is this cool thing on this new medium called the internet that the old mm -hmm. He-Man gang will get a kick out of. Um, I just love that. That's really that's nice. So and I cool. feel like that's kind of the best case scenario of, of what everybody wants out of like any kind of social media platform, right? It's like bad shit can happen on those, but we all kind of <laughs> want to like make something and be acknowledged and be like, a part of like the community of the thing mm -hmm. we love, right? Dare it's I like, say, real human connection? It. Yeah, <laughs> elusive to achieve it over yeah. the internet. Yeah, truly, and it was like easier Amazing. back then. I think, like in the ease in the early, I yeah. mean, because this was kind of pre-social media, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know. It was like people were just emailing other people; they weren't just like leaving comments or something. But whatever. Yeah, like right, that was gonna yeah. get lost in my message requests on Twitter DMs mm -hmm. or something, and I'll like see it yep. five years later and be like, yeah. "Oh, <laughs> somebody composed that." So, like, where where do you think they found so, it? Like, can you paint a picture of what? Because even for me, like 2005, it's pretty hazy. I'm not sure where I was. I in my space. Yeah, Ira wasn't even it born was, yet. Yeah, um, well, that's true. That so we we posted it on the something awful forums back in the day. So it was it was on something awful. And I remember that mm -hmm. it got pretty popular there and a bunch of people would um, would mirror like you remember mirroring when people would like take your video and then they would put it up on different sites. So you like it wouldn't kill your bandwidth. Um, yeah. Yeah. This uh, 320 by 240 um, MOV was really going <laughs> to break the bank of my ISP. But um, 
Uh, and by the way, everything was in black and white back then. Exactly. For the for no listeners color. who were not born in the no 80s color. like me. Yeah, there was no color until yeah. the 90s. Then the file sizes got huge. Um, so, but we uh, posted it on, on forums and then people, what, from what I remember, people shared it on LiveJournal. So it was real big in the, in okay. the LiveJournal yeah. community um, and people just kind of shared it around. I don't know, though, um, how... The, how they found this blog because the the blog that I made was completely fake like I was completely doing a bit I purposely made it look like you know to uh, 1998 you know Netscape website right you know and um it uh oh, I don't have it anymore I wish I had a screenshot of it but um yeah it was like it, the whole thing was a joke and it was like you know Prince Adam doing his um like Doogie Hauser style journal entries like I had a really rough day I got in a fight with sorceress and you know um she's had all these like opinions about stuff you know and so uh that's what she found and it said I had like a little under construction sign you know like with the animated you know the little bulldozer yeah and uh it's just funny that Lou Scheimer's assistant assistant was like yeah whenever you get your permanent side up let me know I'm like oh no like the under construction was a bit like this ain't this ain't gonna change I was literally <laughs> sitting here wondering like if he just emailed you out of the blue like how did he know you had a new site coming? right right I had a new site coming for about the payoff about... of that was so good <laughs> that's what we call a callback <laughs> So, like, how did you, you know, at the time, how did you know this video was sort of starting to, like, plant its feet in the, you know, like, the internet community? Yeah. Like, how, how did you feel, other than that email, was obviously, it the millions you're like, of oh, views? shit, Well, happening. I mean, like, at, at this time, it was practically nothing, you know? I mean, yeah. Really? No, this thing, I, this didn't really start doing anything until 2010. Um, yeah. Okay, I was going to yeah, say. It did practically wow. nothing. I mean, so we had submitted it. To, so we put it on YouTube in 2007, and we submitted it to a couple of uh, film festivals as as well. And so um, the first time that this played in public um, was at a film festival in Tulsa called Tulsa Overground, and um, it was kind of like one of those um, what's the weird um, the animation festival with the guy's name? Um, oh right, uh, uh, the I don't know. I feel like we, I should. We know all this. should know it, and I we don't know it. Um, the can. The, you know, it's not Cannies Film Festival. Cannies. Cannes. Anyway, that it's like isn't it like Mike, Mike and Ike's? Yeah, right, it's, it's like two dudes. Spike and Mike. Mike and Mike's you. animation. Yeah. So yeah, I actually haven't heard yeah. of it. Uh, anyway, yeah, go so on. it was like a a, a, a '90s thing or. Or 70s. Yeah. It's still yeah, they do. Okay. They still do it, I think. Um, I think so. So yeah. we, it played at this uh, at this film festival. And it was the first time that we had ever seen it, um, like actually been able to see people, humans react to it, which really blew my mind, you know, because, uh, you know, you get you don't yeah. really get that kind of feedback. And so we're in this theater and it's up on this big screen and people are laughing at it. It's like they're laughing at the right places. Like they think that this is as funny as I do. <laughs> this is, this is amazing. And, um, you know, but other than that, like as far as virality of any sort, mm -hmm. not at all until 2010. And then, um, it started getting on the front page of Reddit every once in a while. And then friends would send me yeah. links and I would hear about it. And, um, 
then it actually started doing something. And, you know, the big the big story at that time was that it was a um, edited copy of the of, of our original one that went crazy viral. Um, and it turns out that like on the Internet, people like um, like short format and like to get right to the hook. Um, so it was actually <laughs> super smart. Um, but it's something that it was so far off of our radar when we when we made it you know it's like the slow roll intro it's like well this is just the story like this is how it is it's not like oh we gotta we gotta capture we gotta capture that gen z like they we we, we can't exactly TikTok. exactly so um but it was it was <laughs> it was really interesting how that how that happened and it we barely promoted it like it just kind of sat there and mm-hmm. um and and took off yeah. And there, I mean, you don't have to tell this story if you don't want to, uh, don't want to, but there's kind of the bummer side of this whole story, which is how, you know, the, uh, I don't remember the user's name, fuck them, but like the YouTube <laughs> channel that basically like took your content, yeah. did not give you any credit and then scooped up that early run of like first wave YouTube scored however many millions of views. Yeah. Are you listening, you, you little punk? Well, and here's, here's the thing. Like, um, and so like, uh, this is one of the most popular comments on my website, especially or on my YouTube channel, especially now that it seems like there's this like word is kind of getting out for some reason. Well, I know the reason, um, but uh, rewind to Proto of Snagum um, who uploaded the video. Um, and the thing is like, I think when people talk about this story, especially now, because like the internet, the internet loves a, an underdog. Um, in case you didn't know, like, it's, it's like, all right, somebody's, somebody's downtrodden. It's like, we're here, you know? (laughs) Right. And so, um, what was interesting about it though, is like, ultimately, I think people will characterize Proto Snagum as like this, you know, having this diabolical scheme. It's like, I'll show those guys (laughs) at Slack Circus. They don't know anything. (laughs) Uh, like. I'm I'm going to take Jay's five minute intro off of this so that it's like it's more snappy. Um, You know, I think it was actually a smart thing. And, you know, especially at that time with what people were doing on on YouTube, um, it was just a way to share a thing that you like. So I think it was like, hey, I like this thing and I'm going to um, I'm going to cut it down to the uh, kind of the the. The, the viewing link. I want to get to the chorus because that's the way that I want to watch it. Um, and that's apparently a lot of other people liked watching it that way too. Um, and so it's like, it really <laughs> gave it a voice that I was never going to give to it. And so it's yeah. like, in a way it's, it's kind of the opposite. Like uh, Proto Snagum gave visibility to a video that I think if I'm honest, probably never would have done what it did um because you know it was that i didn't i didn't create it that way right yeah well yeah are you listening you little i was really (laughs) curious i'm glad i'm glad that's your your kind of take on it because you know again like youtube even takes that story and they do their own version and they kind of like paint it as a picture of like here's like worst case scenario Mm -hmm. of what you can do to uh, creative yeah. content and the people um, and how it affects the creators. Uh, and, you know, you can look at the, I can't remember 
I, I did watch a video that kind of like told its Yeah, that was the, the wavy story. web surf video. The, and that was like right, the tipping yeah. point. I mean, whenever wavy web surf made that video, um, it was like, you look at my YouTube <laughs> metrics and it's like, gene is like this just huge like and um hundred yeah, percent i mean YouTube. it was just like and so all these people and so now there's this new narrative out there that's like and now people love to well actually people about this video it's become a thing like it happened this right. week like someone what like posted this thing about the he-man video and a bunch of people's like well did you know that actually um slack circus made and this is like this point of of, of pride almost right and um, mm -hmm. the way the network brain um, is is very interesting in that way, and it's like no, it again, all, I'm kind of just like this uh, hapless passenger in a rowboat around all this stuff, you know? <laughs> right? Oh, it's way bigger <laughs> than you like, at this point. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Do you? This is a uh, a question you probably can't answer, but um, because you're in a rowboat, um, <laughs> haplessly. Do you think of any of this sort of like rebooting of this this whole world of He-Man is, you know, tied to kind of like the evergreenness of that video? Yeah. Just to, to some degree. It's a great. I mean, it's it's in the water supply for sure. Yeah. And um and I think part of that is it, it's like because the internet is what it is and it is such a big ocean you anymore good or bad you can't really separate masters of the universe from from this video anymore and sorry about mm -hmm. that lou scheimer um but it's like <laughs> you're welcome lou scheimer writing another email <laughs> the same email thread <laughs> bringing it back from 2006 um i think that um well okay so i'll, I'll give you an example when netflix was working on um the the promotional efforts for he-man revelation um they reached out to me about uh licensing my song to use in some kind of promotion that they were going to do and so they kind of told me the concept of it and it's like you know this is the kid the kids know this video they don't know masters of the universe so this is going to connect with the kids i'm like okay like that's yep. great i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> right. for that and so um and it, it turned out that um, they the, the real issue is that um, they didn't quite have the budget to uh, license the, the the song from Four Non Blondes. And so yeah. um, they ended up uh, licensing the instrumental version of my my track. And then they used it in a like they remixed some of the, uh, the revelation uh, sequences and kind of made it look like Fabulous Secret Powers where they did these other things. <laughs> um, it was funny, actually. It was like a thing they did on Twitter. And um, and then like one of the characters at the end, it's, it's it's like, what? You were all thinking it. And um, I thought it was like pretty funny. Um, but oh, there was yeah. an episode in. Um, so the, the first season of, of Revelation is two. It's a uh, two parts. So in the second half of season one, um, there's an episode called Truth for a Destination. And so like they 100 percent used a lyric from the the uh, four non blonde song and the, you know, fabulous secret power song as the name of one of the episodes. And so it's like, all right. So the, the writers of the show, Kevin Smith, whoever, like they, um, everyone know it's like, it's not even an elephant in the room. It's just like, this is just how the internet works. Like you can't, you can't separate them. It sucks that you're in that robo. You can't even, enjoy Oh, I it. very much enjoy it though. It's like, I, one, I love sailing. 
Um, and so <laughs> that's 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 pretty cool. I mean, honestly, though, it's just like it's kind of fun to, um, you know, just see all these little things pop up and um, have a, a, a conversation about it or just like really the most fun part is um, is just connecting with with a bunch of people at the same time because like the humor and like the way that this whole thing is made it's very specifically like you know i we made this for like our 10 closest friends it's like it's very much like we made exactly the thing that we wanted to make and so there's all these people that love it i'm like great we could probably hang out and it it would be like a fun time um and like Mm -hmm. you don't really get that kind of connection um many other ways so i i kind of i kind of like the rowboat um, because sometimes people will like uh, pull up beside me and sometimes like they got jet skis and stuff. It's like, hey, <laughs> throw a beer exactly. in you there. I mean, Wavy <laughs> Webster, he basically pulled up in a speedboat. He's like, hey, dude, we're going to like hit the cove. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shooting T-shirt cannons at everybody along the way. Caitlin, do you you have any um, favorite episodes in your My two week digestive journey um actually so well base i'll be transparent honest and what i did was google like iconic he-man episodes because i wanted to get to the heart Mm -hmm. of the issue and the first thing that comes up is like top 10 he-man episodes and i watched to like random the top three it ultimately turned out but i just sort of like looked at it and was like this sounds fun Uh, and that's how i ended up watching the battle cat episode where he finds baby battle cat because i was like (laughs) obviously i'm gonna watch that one like he's just Mm -hmm. my favorite so i'm gonna watch that um but one of those episodes um, ended up being like a very low stakes episode um, where He Man and uh, what is her name? Mm-hmm. Tila? Uh huh. Yep. Uh, they like. <laughs> I can't quite remember the inciting incident where they're like not hanging out. And then the. I also lose track of the secondary characters. I can't quite remember if it's like the king, King who Randor. I don't know the name of or whatever, or if it's Man and Arm. What's his. Yeah. Randor. Randor, dang! All right, his friends why call not? him Randy. Um, <laughs> the King Randy is like, you guys need to like just hang out and chill. Yeah, like not everything has mm-hmm. to be work. Yeah. So they go out and they play together, but then she ends up getting lost and like falls into the uh, the abyss that they just casually have nearby. Mm-hmm. I guess because it comes up more than one. This is not the only episode in which the abyss yeah, is a no problem. No guardrails. They're just like, uh, <laughs> she, what could have been done? Yeah, she gets. She gets stuck way down there and then they find her because her mom, the sorceress, like has a mm-hmm. telepathic connection and like finds mm-hmm. her out there. And that's like the whole episode is He-Man has to climb down there and get her. And the conclusion is basically just it's just kind of a heartwarming yeah. family thing. Like there's no I don't even know if Skeletor shows up in that episode. I don't remember if he does or not. I mean, surely he has some kind of cameo appearance. I don't know. It's more of a lassie but that, episode or something. Yeah, this is just like a... And then there's like this very cute... The way that it ends is um, Tila talking about like, just with her telepathic connection, I could just tell that my mom like wanted like me to be like safe with her, like together. And her mom was like, yeah, I do. But there, she's like far away. So her mom's just like saying mm-hmm. this to herself. And I was like... This is really cute. And like not at all the kind of thing that I was expecting. Like I was just a very random piece of Mm -hmm. episode content for I was like, oh, they're going to like fight a dragon or punch Skeletor in the face or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so I thought that was really nice. And that to me just showed like the breadth of what you could actually story tell about yeah. in this mm-hmm. universe. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, get the guns. Like we're going to hunt the bad guys. It could be something like a little cuter. Yeah, that was another, you know, the the first couple of episodes when you're learning about um, Prince Adam and his powers and, and all of that stuff. The relationship that he has with his dad and actually his entire family is really interesting, you know, because he's sort of like portrayed as this weakling, you know, even though he's jacked and he looks exactly like he man. (laughs) But um, he's sort of portrayed as, um, you know, like a little bit effeminate and just like uh, not not very uh, capable. And he kind of has to play this role, you know, because like it's a smokescreen. Right. Like he can't no one can find out his identity. So he just kind of has to play. He kind of has to play along. Um, but crazy how nobody. Yeah, I know. It's the exactly. Superman. Like, thing again, like right? the, like, but like no face. Yeah. Like what? OK. Right. Look at your son. He's right. there. <laughs> He's right haircut. there. And it's like, I don't. It's like, oh, man. His dad's like, oh, I sure wish he man was around right now. He He could solve this. And Adam's like, I know. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go to the bathroom for three hours. Why is there lightning coming out of the bathroom? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, You know, you were talking about um, the the prevalence of rainbows and and sparkles um, in, uh, well, in in the 80s at large, but also it's something that you you see a lot in this series. And... um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about process stuff, um, but uh, I wanted to talk about the uh, the rainbow, um, the rainbow background, the rainbow background that's behind mm. He-Man um, and like all of our like diving through VHS tapes and everything. Um, they had this. Uh, uh, I guess it was the publishing company It's called Magic Window, and it's basically like you know, what you would picture. It's like this kid um, that's running and he runs, he runs through a book. And then after he runs through a book, this big rainbow like streams out of the book and like fills the whole screen and there's sparkles. And he's sort of like, you know, surrounded by rainbow and then, you know, magic window. And um, there's really no other way to get that energy than from like an eighties videotape publishing company's logo animation. Things were better back then. They were. They were, I think there was <laughs> based on this description. Yeah, alone. I mean, they spent some time on it. Um, so rainbows were the gateway to to imagination, right? Like reading mm-hmm. rainbow. Yes. Uh, reading rainbow. Immediate rainbow association. Bright, like the gateway between like our world and her world was like a mm-hmm. rainbow thing. Uh, it's just care there. bears. Yep. Care bear stare. They used to go yeah. on rainbows. Mm-hmm. Pretty good stuff. In fact, it's it's surprising how. You know, the ebb and flow of, uh, like, color, it, like, especially, like, saturated and vibrant colors like that in, like, entertainment. Like, I was watching uh, a movie from 2011 the other night. Who cares what it was? But it was very gray and brown. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, movies no. have been... <laughs> no, even that's got a little more color. This was, like, the Fright Night remake with uh, Colin oh, so, okay. Farrell. Yeah. Uh, Boring. It, it looks boring. It's like gray and browns. 
And like you think about the way like Marvel movies it started mm-hmm. out that way as well. And now they're sort of like, now they look like He-Man. Like Thor, the world of Thor is just He-Man. It's like 80s oh, yeah. cartoon world. Like, Wow, is there only one type of like buff Viking-esque guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like can it? Can he not come in other forms? No. no. I've never He's thought blonde. about this. Yeah. That's pretty much the way that you have to, That that's the way you have to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're mythological. At wow. least. Sorry, Kaylin. Oh, <laughs> it's how I it think is. I'm tall enough to Vaguely be Shira. Scandinavian. All right, Jay. So what are some of, uh, you know, what you, you're, you kind of hinted at there's like a kind of some newer videos. You're kind of exploring humans world further and bringing it into the yeah. times. So um, <laughs> I wrote a song more than a year ago um, called Brand New Face. And um, the song has been finished for a long time. Um, in fact, I got so tired of, uh, like waiting to have a minute to actually do any animation on it. I just released the song. I put it up on Spotify. And so I, I released the track first and uh, ahead of the video, which I've never done before. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, I think. Mm-hmm. I'd like to note at this time that a lot of your creative process really mirrors the creative process of the makers of He-Man, <laughs> just backing into it, just right. doing everything backwards. Yeah, exactly. Justifying, <laughs> the, justifying the whole thing. Exactly. Um, but I mean, really, that honestly is whenever I do, uh, whenever I do a song, that is kind of where I start. Like I, I start with, mm-hmm. uh, with the music. Um, and there's kind of like a vague story in there, maybe, but I'm 100% using the animation to justify whatever story comes out of it. Um, and it's such a big, uh, it's such a big palette. It's almost limitless. Like I've only used half of season one. I'm not, I haven't even used like the whole season yet. And I still feel like I've not even close to harvested everything that, uh, that you could use in that, in that old animation. Yeah. Do you feel like you've got a different approach to it now that like you you've seen the formula that works, you know, like how, how do you kind of like approach your process? It's, um, I'm 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 better at it now. Um, all, one, because I've been doing my my day job for like 15 years now. And so, like, I kind of know how animation happens, um, which which helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the first time around uh, making Fabulous Secret Powers, um, just kind of fell into the process that seemed to make sense. Um, we were just cutting up this animation in Final Cut Pro and um, doing freeze frames on the the mouth shapes that we wanted. And oh, sorry, and then just kind of did it frame by frame and not really knowing what was going to go where is sort of like taking it a step at a time. There was no storyboard. There was no like, you know, rough cut where I did like, oh, I'm going to do a blocking pass and just kind of figure out you know where everything goes so like true story like the 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 chef uh sequence at the end that was 100 percent a time filler because like all right we don't have anything for this i just like <laughs> i want to be done with this how about we do a monty python reference we'll just have like a random chef down in the dungeon <laughs> right. like stirring a pot for no reason um and it took <laughs> like 10 minutes and and we were done i'm like all right we just we just filled up you know seven seconds worth of time um but uh, nowadays, I do try to block out the sequence um, with uh, a little bit more, a lot more foresight than that. So I'll look at the song um, and, and kind of figure out what the what the story beats are. 
And so like um, the previous music video that I did called Villainous Behaviors, um, when I did Villainous Behaviors, I kind of knew who, well, I knew who the main character was. I knew who the cast was going to be sort of, um, but I just kind of went through and I captured screen grabs and and blocked them in like, all right, so here's going to be a close up. There's going to have to be talking here. Here's going to be, you know, an action sequence when he steals uh, that he, he teleports the giant into a ship and just kind of like, you know, still framed it out and, and truly made a, a, an animatic out of it. And then, um, I would go back in and then, you know, uh, kind of get into the, uh, the keyframe phase, so to speak. So it was, it was weird kind of like, you know, now that I know sort of how real, real animation works, the, the process is kind of the same. It's almost just like going backwards. Like, they, they have finished animation, so I'm just taking it apart and freezing it at the right time and then filling in the holes with stuff that matches the, the audio track. Pretty interesting. It's truly impressive. I have, like, more technical. Speaking as an animator. Yeah, I was like, I have more technical <laughs> questions, but I think, like, that's, it's high. I'm trying to think of, like, how people are listening to this. I'm like, without I know, visuals, it's really, it's really like, challenging. Are you getting yeah. It? But it's really interesting. Imagine the keyframes. We'll go off yeah. the videos, but I'm like to oh, hang off true. that a little bit yeah. also is just like, I am curious, and you probably talked about this elsewhere, but I've never asked you somehow, which I find very strange, but like, where did the idea even come from? And like, why do you think it's persisted that you've done it so much? I don't know. Like, why not write a song and do a other animated thing? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah like, what does it yeah, mean to you? And like, where, how I, is I it born? And, you know, like the um the idea originally was just um you know it, it was like ripping off somebody else's work as all great things begin you know it was seeing like all right well so eric fensler had this like really hilarious gi joe thing and so it was so inspiring it was like i whatever this is like this is a medium that i know that i can play in and this looks really fun so He-Man, obvious choice. And um, and so it's like, okay, so we're going to do like a remixed He-Man thing. Okay, awesome, great. What is it? Like, what's the story? What is the, what are they doing? You know, we're not going to do PSAs again. Are we going to write comedy? I mean, I don't know. And um, so uh, I've been a musician all of my life and, uh, you know, played pianos since I was little and all of this. And um, music is always kind of a starting point for me. And so it's like, if I can hear it, I can, I can see it. And, um, I was driving to work one day and, um, I was thinking about this, uh, four non blonde song for some reason, like you do. Um, if you were, if you can't Probably heard it at the grocery it, store, I mean, that's the got thing. It's like, it's head. also like he, man, that song was ever present for <laughs> a, a, a certain number of years. Um, and so. I remember thinking uh, I should try singing that um, at a karaoke bar. Or some like my friends at the time were into like doing karaoke. <laughs> I was like, so I'm that's going to be my song next time, and I'm going to sing the whole thing in falsetto, and it's going to be ridiculous. And I just thought that was a funny idea. It really was not any deeper than that. And um, and so I went home and and got to work making a a track. It's like, all right, well, what would it sound like if I'm going to do a cover of this song, you know, what is it? What is the song? And, um, and so then we started kind of looking at character stuff and looking at, at, at Prince Adam. And, um, it was sort of like, all right, well, 
it, it seems like the the animators were not trying to hide the fact that they're you know they're trying to make Prince Adam be kind of effeminate and sort of like um, a, a a symbol for what I'm sure at the time a lot of people were thinking like you know what I I have a tough time like if I'm gay I have I'm having a hard time having that conversation with my parents I want that represented somehow um, in in this series or in the way that they drew them I don't know but it comes through in the show very clearly and so I was like all right well what if we just made the most fabulous dance track ever? And so that's, that's, that's what I did. Um, and so then we just had this song and played, uh, you know, I played it for Ryan. We laughed a lot and then it's like, all right, now all we have to do is make a music video to that. And that, that was pretty much it. Uh, it was like, make it, the assignment then was make a music video to this ridiculous, bad techno song. Yeah. Yeah, I always I I remember, you know, seeing this back in the day and having like I thought the humor of it was that it's kind of a non sequitur. It's like, oh, imagine He-Man, mm-hmm. but this it's like, oh, that's very funny. But like hearing you talk about why you pursued the project to like completion and kind of the the that story element that you're trying to pull out of it. That's like you're like, this mm-hmm. is there, but and we're going to show it to you like really, yeah, it really was there. blatantly. But it's also kind yeah. of subtle in a way because you're not like really right. saying that up front. And it's, but it's, it's like in the same yeah. way that, you know, like what we were talking about with just cartoons at that time in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I imagine it was very uh, it was a kind of a stifling culture at that time. You know, it's like, well, you can't do this and there's mm-hmm. no violence like it, for if it's a kid's show, you couldn't do anything. And, you know, you, you go back and look and it's kind of like, well, there is this there is this, you know, um, layer to this that's that's very present but they really couldn't talk about that like at, at that time mm-hmm. um in 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 the united states here they really couldn't talk about it and it was sort of like all right well what if they're like there's what if that's just elevated a little bit in a way that makes sense today you know as a celebration right as a as a, a you know as a mm-hmm. celebration of um you know everybody that's had like every gay kid that's had that difficult conversation with, with their parents and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's like, it feels in the same way that I've never even really put this together before, but in the same way that, um, you know, in, in the show, it was like giving these kids agency, like, all right, I have the power to do this. It was sort of like in, in our story, it's Prince Adam is realizing for the first time, like I can be who I want to be and this is who I am and I'm going to sing really loud and I'm going to have rainbows and sparkles and I'm going to wear pink and purple and I'm going to do what I want to do. And, um, and I think, you know, like that made, I, in what I hear is that that really resonated with a lot of people early on, um, on, on live journal and, um, in all of that, it was LGBTQ culture, like forwarding it around, like, Hey, I love this. This is hilarious. Like, have you seen this? Right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's and it really I feel like it speaks to the direction animation was um, moving in, right? Like kind of shrinking down the story to be about like a, a character's journey to like identity is so much about what like kids mm-hmm. storytelling mm-hmm. is these days, right? And th- I mean, there's so much of it. Like I'm in the graphic novel world, like banned books and like the the banned books that are being banned are those stories, right? For people that didn't have their stories told, Um, you know, they're all like genderqueer Mm -hmm. stories that are being like trying to be eradicated, even though they're out there and they're selling great. So keep banning books, everybody, because 
it sells better if you ban it. Yeah. <laughs> this um, is the most political I think we've ever gone. Ah, uh, sure. Well, I feel like we're, we're wrapping up the episode. We need to, we need like a, a morality. You might even say, button oh, on. wait a minute, a, are we having cartoon yeah. feelings right now? Is that what's happening? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Somebody finally said it. Yeah. We, that You know, it's a successful episode when the cartoon <laughs> feelings come out. Yeah. Because that's mm-hmm. what it's all about, baby. It's about the feelings. Do, I don't. What would the PSA be of this episode? Uh, I don't know. Well, maybe Jay. Jay oh, my gosh. What's, what's your PSA for, for young creatives growing up today that are like, they're like, Hey, I've seen that funny video. Huh, I never really thought about it that way. Maybe I want to make my own thing. Um, yeah. What do you I, say? I, I, <laughs> go. <laughs> um, yeah, go. Get get out of here. You don't have what it takes. Oh, no. just have them. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Crushing. Devastating. Um, Cartoon feelings aren't always good. <laughs> uh, no, I think that, um, and I, I say this uh, in... I say this all the time, actually, in, in talks that I've given, but it is something I kind of uh, live by, is, and that is that uh, creating something good is always worth it. Um, like, I think there's so much value in doing the thing that, um, that you're kind of called to do, that you're, um, that you're gifted at, or like the thing that interests you, um, or whatever that thing is for you. I think it's worth it to um to chase that down and don't let people say uh you know what like that's not really worth it or that maybe that's not a good idea or tear it down before it even starts um you know i'm i'm a big fan of spending a ridiculous amount of of time on something really silly um because it's worth it you know it's like when one of these sequences gets finished right and i see um, one of these characters express the dialogue in an even better way than I voiced it. And then I just start laughing hysterically. That's, that's worth it. Right. Like that's worth it because like, if I'm laughing like that, I know that other people are, are going to also, and it's like, it's almost a level of, um, of, of, of expression that, uh, I know it's kind of difficult to harness, um, any other way. And so it's like, see where that, see where that experiment takes you and like try to follow it to its conclusion. Um, because like you just, you know, like, and don't do it for, um, this like targeted goal. Don't be Mattel. Don't say like, um, <laughs> don't be the uh, Mattel. All right. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to have like, this is, this thing's going to print money if we create these characters in exactly this way. Um, but at the same time though, I feel like everyone that worked on it, made it into something bigger than they could have possibly imagined. And, um, you know, the same is true of, of, of this and just like this crazy, like 15 plus years of this video just being out there and floating around the ocean of the internet always, um, in, 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 that I'm, robo. in, the, in the rowboat. And it's like, it's pretty, uh, it's, it, it's pretty cool. Like you just, you, you, uh, you just don't know um, the um, the ripple effects that something you do is is going to have. Um, so, like, pay attention and 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 uh, take it seriously. And just have, have fun. fun. And take it seriously. And more important, no, uh, maybe 50-50, Take it seriously. Have fun. Take your fun and have it serious. Take your right. fun and shove it. <laughs> <laughs>
I ain't working here no more. Well, that's all for now. You can find out more about Jay Allen, a.k.a. Slack Circus, over on his YouTube channel, at Slack Circus, and his Instagram, also at Slack Circus, and his Twitter, at Slack Circus. He was just really on the ball. He got all the names. Yeah, look out. New social media platform. I am Slack Circus. Caitlin Kaju. And you can check out uh, the Cartoon Feelings episode archive and other facts about Caitlin and I and the show at cartoonfeelings.com. You can tweet at us or join us on Instagram. And both of those are at Feeling Cartoons. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would be very grateful if you would consider taking the time to rate us on Apple Podcasts, even go so far as to leave a review. And if you're feeling bold, consider sharing us with your like-minded friends. If you leave a funny or cool review on Apple Podcasts, we might even deign to read it on the show. Who knows? Yeah. The choice is yours. It's up to you now. You have the power. <laughs> Goodbye.